0: Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. Leviticus chapter 23, we're going to read this as we begin, and then we'll find ourselves into the New Testament as we think on the glorious reality that our Savior is risen. He is risen indeed. Leviticus chapter 23, start with me in verse 9, verse 9, the Word of God says, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, and you shall bring the sheath of the first fruits of your harvest to the priests, and he shall weigh the sheath before the Lord so that you may be accepted on that day after the Sabbath of the priests shall... Wave the sheath, and you shall offer a male lamb, a year old without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma, and a drink offering, and it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain parched or fresh until this day, until you have brought the offering to your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. This is the word of the Lord from Leviticus. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we come with great anticipation. Um, Father, we woke this morning with great anticipation. Father, because when we wake, we wake to true life. Father, eternal life. Father, the, the moment, Father, that you breathe life into us as we've sung Lord, is when our life began, Father, and it's all because of Christ. Father, he has accomplished something we could not. And Father, he has given us his very life. And so, Father, we pray today as we hear your word, as we think about the resurrection, Father, and what it means. And Father, that you have sent Jesus to be the first fruit of the resurrection. I pray you would help us. Help us to hear your word, to heed its truths, Father. I pray that by your word you are cutting and shaping and reforming our thoughts and our hearts and our desires to look more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask all these things for your glory and we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was reported uh, yesterday there have been approximately 108,000 deaths due to the coronavirus outbreak worldwide. There have been just over 20,000 deaths here in the United States as a result of this virus. While death is not something new to any society, the coronavirus pandemic has sent the global world searching, searching for something. See, death has an interesting way of creating a longing in people's heart for something. And, and I want to argue for this sake that they're actually, they're searching for a guarantee, They're searching for some type of a guarantee, um, whether that be of of a healing in that moment or whether it be of a certainty that will come out of this situation. See, we are all searching for guarantee in this life. Sometimes it's just a situation like the coronavirus that brings it to the forefront. See, there's something about guarantees that are enticing to the human heart in a world of uncertainty. Think about it. I think we would act a little differently if we had a few more guarantees in life. We might walk into that business meeting with a little bit more confidence if we were guaranteed that it would go exactly how we thought it would go. Maybe we would would be guaranteed to go to that brother or sister and have that difficult conversation if we just knew for certain that they would hear us to the end and not get angry. And maybe, maybe we would actually go to Walmart if we were guaranteed nobody else would be there. I don't know. But guarantees change the way We look at life, you know, and guarantees there's something in them that gives our heart a boost of confidence to look at circumstances with a bit more certainty. And today, in God's perfect timing, we are on the final day of what many people call Passion Week. If you're not familiar with with that kind of language, Passion Week is simply the week set aside in the church calendar where we think intentionally about the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry We think of Jesus' final week of earthly ministry. And so let me offer just a quick recap of the events leading up to today, the resurrection day. See, the Bible records that Jesus, God himself, came and took on the form of man. And he lived a life of perfection. Meaning that there was not one single moment in Jesus' life where he didn't live out of a guarantee. An expectation of perfection. Hope and real obedience unto the Lord. Every thought, every action was perfectly pleasing to God the Father. Yet we also read that he willingly, out of his own desire, died on a sinner's cross. Jesus literally became sin on Good Friday for all who would believe. And in doing so, the Father poured out the cup of his wrath due to sin, our sin, on Jesus himself. And Jesus drank it completely. And then after declaring it is finished, the Bible says that he breathed his last and he gave up his spirit. The maker of heaven and earth had died. No more blood pulsed through his body. No more brain waves were going on inside of him. No more breath was causing his chest to rise and to not rise, to rise and to not rise. He was dead. And we read in the scriptures that Some of his followers took him down from the cross, prepped him, and then put him into a tomb and sealed it with a great stone. And as David read for us, we we also realize that the very next day, on Sunday, after he had been in the grave for a whole day, we see that they came to, to anoint his body with ointments out of deep love for him. But they realized something. To their surprise, he was not there. He had risen. The physical body of Jesus had become one with his spirit again. And Jesus proceeded to show himself in multiple ways and in multiple locations to his apostles at multiple times, to many followers, to even, it says in the scriptures, to a group of 500 at one time. See, Jesus was no longer in the tomb. He had risen. He had risen indeed. And this is what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday, Easter That Christ is no longer in the grave. That death did not stop him, but that he rose again. And now he calls a people to believe in him, in his finished, complete work. I'm not sure about you, but this is the best news that I've ever heard. This is the greatest guarantee that's ever been offered to me in my entire life. That I, a sinner can be not only forgiven, but I can be transformed into a new person by the power of the resurrection from the inside out, that then I can spend all of my days and not waste a single moment of it if I'm living for my king and for his kingdom. See, this is the gospel. This is our king. But how does it change the way I think, live, and worship when the echo of death's drum is beating so loudly during this coronavirus pandemic. Maybe you're like me, and and maybe there's moments where you wonder, I believe Jesus lived, I believe he died and rose again, but man, this is really difficult right now. This is really hard to live out my faith sometimes in the midst of this. I mean, just just yesterday, I was studying up at the church, and and I stopped to get a Snickers because I was getting a little hangry, And, and in the store, somebody coughed. And I know we laugh at that, but in that moment, I heard the cough and literally deep inside me, fear began to well up. I began to feel like, oh no, what if I get the coronavirus? And then the second thing happened, then anger began to well up in me at that person who just coughed and didn't cover their mouth. You see, that's the kind of tension that we daily live in when we don't constantly understand the fullness of the resurrection, And today, as we study the resurrection from God's word, I pray we see that there is a great guarantee given to all of mankind. And it's the reality that Christ is the firstfruits of the resurrection. Christ is the firstfruits of the resurrection. Flip with me now to 1 Corinthians as we look in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. And I pray that God shows us the greatest guarantee ever given the greatest guarantee ever given this is a letter written by paul to the church of corinth who were battling many uncertainties and many things going on and as a church will do oftentimes when they struggle to live out their faith before a present and evil world and we see here that he's nearing the end of his letter and he's beginning to have conversations with him about the resurrection But I want to look specifically at the phrases in verses 20 through 23. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. Look there with me. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then he says, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See, one of the things you have to understand about this section of Scripture is that Paul has just finished showing the end result of thinking and living as if the resurrection isn't true. See, with the whole build up to the scene in the beginning sections of First uh, Corinthians, he's talking and he kind of walks out the logic with these people of saying that Christ hasn't been risen. And he says things that if this is true, then, then Christians, then we are the most to be pitied. Look there at verse 19. It says, if in Christ we have no hope, if we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And what's so interesting is that, that, that sometimes I think how we feel as Christians in today. Like everyone else gets to do these type of things and enjoy these type of activities. And, and, and sometimes we think, oh, woe is me. Woe is me. But, but it's because we, we don't realize the guarantee and hope we've been given in and through Jesus Christ. And you know what? This is exactly how I felt multiple times this week. I'm the most to be pitied. I am the most, I feel anger, I feel fear, I feel concern to a level as a follower of Jesus Christ where I feel like I should be pitied because I actually have hope in this. Well, maybe there's no guarantee for tomorrow. But then Paul in verse 20, he immediately flips the script on these guys. He says, okay, if this is true, then your faith is in vain. We're still in our sins. But he says, that's not true. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and then he uses this language, he calls them the first fruits, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, if you're like me, for many years, I had no clue what this idea of first fruits actually meant. I've never heard this term before, and so I'm going to spend just a little bit of time thinking about the concept of first fruits. See, first fruits is an an agricultural term. And it's used when talking about the time of harvest. And I want to use, one, the Old Testament festival that we spoke about earlier and an illustration to help fill out its meaning for us as we dig into this passage. First, let me start with an illustration. Shelley and the girls, they, they've planted a garden in our backyard this year. They, they took the ground and they took their rakes and their hoes and they chopped it up and pulled all the grass out and, and did all this work. And, and then Shelley was sore for about three weeks afterwards. Out there working in the ground. And what's interesting is she was given some seeds by her uncle, Uncle Don, we call him. And and we actually had some other seeds that we had gotten like last summer at a a Fourth of July parade that we were at with my family. They were giving out seeds. So we had these seeds, you know, these seeds, one from her uncle that were really old, and then one that's almost a year old, a pack of seeds. And I I remember even thinking, and I remember Shelly even saying, Are these seeds any good? And I was like, I, I don't know. So, so why would she say that? Why would she say, are these seeds any good? Is it worth me investing my labor and my time to plant these into the ground if I'm not guaranteed that the seed will actually produce fruit? And I told her, <laughs> the only way to find out if the seed's any good is to plant them, and we'll find out. So she and the girls took those seeds and they planted them in the soil and, and we're beginning to see the green plants come up out of the ground. But we still don't know if the seeds are any good. Why? Because we will only see if the seed is any good when we see its first fruit. When we see the first vegetable begin to be produced so that first fruit of the tomato plant coming forth from this seed. So we have to wait Several more weeks or months to see if these plants will actually produce crop. And what I want and what I hope you understand from this is that the guarantee in seed producing is the actual harvest. And the only guarantee you have is the moment you see that first fruit come forth from the seed. Now think about the Old Testament, the festival that we read earlier. We read the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament about the early feast called the Feast of Firstfruits. And several things about this feast that are important to understand. One is its timing in the um, Old Testament festivals. I don't know if you're like me. Maybe you're not familiar with with Firstfruits before studying the the book of Leviticus. We're all familiar, I think, with Passover for most of the time. It's the celebration of the um, people of Israel where they remember that God rescued them from Egypt. And, and there was a Passover meal that they were to celebrate, a, a lamb that they were to bring into their home a couple of days before um, this particular um, festival. And then they would they would kill the lamb and eat it and remember that God has rescued them from Egypt. And this typically happened on the 14th of typically March of their first month of the calendar year. And they would have this moment where they would have the lamb, and then Passover would happen. And then the next day was automatically called a, a, a holy day or a Sabbath. A holy day or a Sabbath where they would rest and reflect. And then the very next day, Leviticus in 23, what it tells us is a so Passover, there would be a day of rest, and then there came the feast of first fruits. It was, the, it was three days after Passover. So, Passover, rest, Sabbath day, first fruits. And typically, what happened during this time as first fruits is this feast was not a sin offering. This feast was not where blood was slain. Though, though we did say they would sacrifice a, an animal, this actually was more like a grain offering, a thanksgiving offering. And what they would do is they would, when the first fruits would come, they would take the first sheaths of barley, more than likely, that was being produced at this time. And they would cut down that first sheath and they would give it to the Lord. They would give it to the priest, and it says the priest would, they would wave it before the Lord. And this waving it before the Lord was saying, God, you caused this first fruit to happen, and we trust in you that you will bring about the full harvest. That they would bring about the guarantee that there will be a full harvest, even though we're going to give you this first portion, because we trust in you. See, the Feast of first fruits marked not a sacrifice of forgiveness, but was a celebration that God would provide everything to its fullness. The first portion, which was stood in the place of the whole harvest, knowing that he would provide this full harvest. It was almost like saying, God, you have shown yourself true here in the beginning, and we believe you will show yourself true and faithful to provide the rest of this harvest. The first fruit was a guarantee that God is faithful to keep his promises of the full harvest. Now, let's put these two concepts together as we go back into 1 Corinthians and think about this for a moment. A seed's guarantee of being good is only found when we see its first fruit. And the Old Testament laid out a pattern of thanksgiving offered to God at the festival of the first fruits, which came three days after Passover. Now, let's think. Jesus died when? On Passover. On Passover. That Friday was Passover. And we saw the pattern established. And then it would be a day of rest. And then the next day would be the festival of what? First fruits. That's the day Jesus come up from the grave. Jesus' resurrection was on Sunday, the Sunday of first fruits of that year. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. He stood as a representative of the whole harvest of those who would rise in Christ. Jesus was, Jesus is the guarantee that God will bring about the harvest of the resurrection for all who believe in him. Jesus is our first fruit. Brothers and sisters, friends, he is our guarantee that our hope in him is not In vain. He is the boost of confidence to the soul of the wearied believer that I can continue to labor and labor hard for the Lord because nothing I do is in vain. Because He rose, therefore I too will rise. He is my guarantee that right now, as I'm preaching to you, I'm not planting seeds in vain. I can preach with confidence. Knowing that it's not I who bring forth the harvest, but God says, I have already purchased a people, and they too will be raised one day. Jesus is the guarantee of real hope. Jesus is the guarantee of real joy. Jesus is the guarantee of real full salvation for his people, not just forgiveness of sins, not just a life of transformed living, but that though death may take me one day, it does not have the final say. I too will be raised from the grave because Christ, Christ has already taken my death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate today and every day, is the fact that the Father vindicated, the Father approved His Son's life and work on the cross. And in the resurrection, He shows us, He He proves that there is not a single sin offering now that can be offered but Christ. And that there is only one thing we do, and that is by faith we cling to Christ. We say, Lord, forgive me. I've been living my life for myself, and I know what I deserve, but I behold Christ. And we trust him. We believe in him. We fall in love with him. He gives us a new life. And I believe, and we believe because the scriptures declare it to be true, that that's when my life begins. I don't have to wait till eternity to begin to experience A foretaste of eternity. See, no longer do I have to offer sins. Now my life is an offering of thanksgiving to the God who has saved me. And this is the call to all of us today. This is the call to all of us every day. Because as surely as the sun rises, Christ rose from the grave. And so we too can bring our life into right understanding that today I walk a resurrected life. We can go to Romans 8 and and see the beautiful language where Paul says, we are the first fruits of the spirit. That we, those who are in Christ, are that. And that's the call for all to respond. Maybe you're out there. Maybe you've been a part of Calvary for years, or maybe you're listening for the first time. And this is the call of the gospel, that we just don't trust in a cross. We trust in the full work of Jesus Christ, his life in my place, his death in my place, and his resurrection is also my resurrection. And I just plead with you, do you want to spend your life wasting time living for yourself? Because that will only lead to your own destruction. But if we believe in Jesus and if we have faith in him and we turn from our ways and follow him, he offers us true life. A life that begins with him. So look there back with that being First Corinthians, as we'll just kind of walk through a few of these implications, but I just want us to fill out the fullness of that word. I don't want ever us to read a word like that's so full and rich of meaning, like first fruits, and just be like, "Oh, first fruits." No, brothers and sisters, this is a word throughout the Bible that has great implications. So look there again, First Corinthians fifteen. Look with me at verse twenty once again. It says, "But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep." So understand now, for the, maybe for the first time, this term, first fruit and its meaning. And look what he says here. He says there's two types of seeds that were guaranteed in life. We see that in verses 21 and 22. He says the first seed we see is the seed of Adam. He says, for as by a man came death. And he elaborates that in verse 22, for as in Adam all die. You know, and that's the guarantee we've all been given. From the moment we breathe, our first breath is the fact that we will all see death. See, the coronavirus shouldn't freak us out because it's actually, it's just an implication of the original fall in the garden. That man, we, our bodies are but dust. That we will die. See, all men inherit this death. All men are guaranteed death. All people who have ever lived have has died. We could scan over the, the garden and the landscape of history, right? We could see the, the fullness of death. We could see in this, in this graveyard of history, we could see Adam, and we could see Abel, and we could see Noah. We could see the, the thousands of people who have died. We can see the millions of people have lived from there. We can see Jacob and Joseph and Pharaoh. We could see all of the people in scriptures. We could see Hitler. We could see George Washington. We could see all these people and they're all there in the grave. But then we scan over this hardest, but there's one, there's one spot that there's a gap. Because there was one man who lived in history and he did die. But that one gap is Christ. He is the only one who has ever defeated death. There is no other religion in the world that offers this kind of real hope. Muhammad is in this grave. Buddha is in this grave. Confucius is in this grave. Billy Graham is in this grave. See, our hope is in not any other person than Jesus Christ. He is the only one by which we can find salvation. And this is what he says here, right? For why one man came death, but by another man has come also the resurrection of the dead, that being Christ himself. See, this is the true guarantee that we all have, that we will all face death. And the only way we face death is either in Adam or in Christ. And that's the options I hold before you this morning. That as we remember Christ conquered the grave, your only hope is that you are knit in Christ, that you are unified with Christ. By birth, our physical birth, we are all unified with Adam. We are all part of Adam. We all have inherited death. But you know what? I have a different look on death because I have now been knitted to Christ. And so death does not have sway over my soul. Hebrews tells us that that he has freed us from the fear of death. And this means I live differently. This means I act differently. I don't fret or, or worry nor get consumed about things like the coronavirus. It doesn't freak me out because I am in Christ and my death has already been swallowed whole. He is the first fruit and I am promised to come in the harvest at the end. My death It's almost as if Paul is saying here, Oh church, do not fall. Pray to the doubt of not having the guarantee that God will one day do what he's promised to do. For Jesus is the very proof, the validation, the guarantee that we all will be raised in Christ. Remember my struggle in the store just a few days ago? with fear and anger when I heard that man cough. And maybe you right now are struggling with the same types of doubt and internal debate of whether you really can handle this coronavirus, whether you can really understand what's going on. Well, I want us to look at something because Paul continues in this chapter building out so much more implications. He builds out so many more. He talks about when the imperishable will put on um, when the perishable will put on imperishable, when the immortal will put on mortality, or immortal mortality will put on mortality. And I would encourage you read that over, the, over your meal together. Finish this chapter. Finish reading from twenty four down to the end here. But I want to zoom very quickly to the end. So Paul builds this glorious theology of the resurrection that we can have a guarantee that we are in Christ. We will be raised again. And so he builds out to fifty eight. And I want us to look. Because these are some powerful implications for us right now. For how we can live during a coronavirus epidemic like now. But not only this, but when it's gone, that we continue to walk with this same type of hope and assurance and guarantee. Look there with me at verse 58. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord, your labor is never in vain. So we see here, Paul, he calls these people not just to believe and trust in Jesus as their first fruit, that he is the one who is their representative of their, their life, their death and their resurrection. But he calls them to be steadfast, immovable, immovable. And listen, he says this is at the flow. This is at the end of his logical argument of the resurrection. It is not merely the cross that gives us hope. It is the fact that he conquered the grave. This is the hope. This is the living hope of the believer, the resurrected king. That is what makes us unshakable. That is what makes us unmovable in a world of chaos and uncertainty. I don't have to look around to find my certainty for my certainty is Christ's body that is no longer in the grave, but it is resurrected. He's where I find my confidence. He's my settled assurance of my soul. And that's what I had to preach to myself in the store when I began to feel fear and doubt and even anger towards this person because they weren't thinking of me when they coughed. I had to settle my heart on the reality that I don't have to fear in this moment, that I don't have to build up in anger and lash out maybe at this person, but instead I had the settled confidence that I could love my neighbor well. And it was because of the guarantee of the resurrection the settled confidence in Christ because he is resurrected, it doesn't lead to merely joy. It doesn't lead to merely peace, but actually it leads to a particular way of living. You see, when we think of the resurrection, sometimes our, quick, our mind quickly runs to just eternity, And and Paul builds out some arguments for that, 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 that there is an order that will happen, and we can rejoice that he rose and we too will rise in Christ. But he says at the end of this argument, look at 58 again. He says, therefore, he says, so based on all this doctrine, all this truth, all this reality of the fact that Christ rose from the grave, he says, live now differently. Brothers and sisters, Friends, it is the resurrection that empowers God's people to live no longer for themselves, but for him. This is what Paul says. It is the power of the resurrection at work in us. And the first thing we have to do is we have to be steadfast, immovable. Our hearts have to be assured and certain that he will do exactly what he said he will do. Well, how do I know, Josh? How do I know he will do it? Jesus rose. It is the validation that all that he said, I will bring to completion. All the promises of God are found, yes, in Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. But look what he says here. He says, but always abounding in what? The work of the Lord. For so much of my life, I wasted it. Literally wasted it. You know, like I was, I mean, many people would say my life was a really good life being brought up. I had wonderful parents. I worked pretty hard in school. I worked really hard at sports. I mean, there's still records I hold in the county that I went and played soccer in. Some of them I'm not proud of, but some of them I am very proud of. But you know what? That was all in vain. Uh, You know, because that one day will never carry on. That one day will never move forward because that was not done for the Lord. Now, if I trusted in the Lord in those moments, that those things could have been. But the motivation of my heart in that moment was not to honor God. It was to bring accolade and rejoicing to Josh's name. And what he's saying here now, but the moment the Lord gave me new life, I've labored now for him. And you know what I've done? I've done the normal things of life. I got married. I've had children. And you know what I'm doing with those children? I'm laboring hard to raise them up in Christ, to teach them the goodness of who he is and what he's done. And when I labor in this way, there's two types of parenting, right? There's parenting where they will be prestige in the world and there's parenting where they follow them with Christ and they follow Him all the days and only one of them the Bible says is not in vain and it's when we labor for the Lord because of the power of the resurrection and there are a lot of things that you and I we can waste our time on and this has been one of the gifts to us during the season of the coronavirus is we have been able to stop and think of how much time wasting we've done from wicked things like lying to cover my pride or hating my neighbor because they don't keep up their yard, but even to be consumed by fear or doubt or simply wasting a day watching things that don't matter. Instead, Paul challenges the church in Corinth. He says, based on this truth that Christ is the first fruits, he says, let this build up in you a fervor to labor for the Lord. Because when you proclaim Christ, when you announce Christ, when you live for Christ, there is not one drop of sweat like coming off of my face right now. There's not one second of your day that is wasted when you're laboring in the power of the resurrection. Not one. That's the life I want to live. That's the life that God calls all of us to. And this is the life that you and I have been empowered to live because of Christ. A life worth living is a life spent for our king and his kingdom. Mom, dads, when you labor to raise your kids in the Lord, it's never in vain. Church members, when you labor to care for each other, it's never in vain. When we spend our days leveraging our resources, announcing Jesus to our neighbor in our workplace, not one single moment is in vain. This is what he says. Look there again at verse 58. Knowing that in the Lord you labor, it is not in vain. Because I've been knit to Christ. Because Christ has given me new life and a new direction and a new purpose. And I don't want us just to celebrate the fact that I have eternity. But God's given you this moment. God's given you this breath. God's given you how many ever days you have left to live for him. And what builds the, uh, the heart and the desire is to think on the resurrection. That I cannot waste my ounce of energy living for Jesus. Because it is never in vain. So how? How do I get my heart and my mind to believe this? And Brothers and sisters, it's not by looking at the things of this world that are all around us. I'm not saying it's bad not to be aware of the circumstances and what's going on. But I am saying that and I'm trying to implore you and to plead with you to spend time setting your mind on Christ and his resurrection. Because our king, he rose from the grave. And the Bible says he is our first fruit. He is God's vindication that what he's accomplished, he will bring to completion. Maybe our thinking on this resurrection today It will lead to praise as it should. But I pray, I'm pleading and I've been praying for you and I'm asking you to spend time asking the Lord to stir up in you a lifelong laboring for Him because He has risen. This is the call of the resurrection. To live with confidence that the guarantee that I will not labor in vain is because He is our first fruit. Not a guarantee from freedom of the virus, but a guarantee that even if we were to get it and breathe our last, it did not have the final say. Instead, thousands of years ago, when Christ breathed, he, he had the final say. And he said, it's finished. And now I reign and put in all things under my footstool. But until then, My people will be known by their love for me, their love for others, and they labor for me. Brothers and sisters, friends, this is our call from scripture. This is the call of the resurrection to rejoice that he is the firstfruits and now to labor every day for him. And not one moment will be wasted if we do so. Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultry.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.